psalm, chapter 139, the psalmist writes this. For you formed my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul. Your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We open God's word. We see... His intentionality in the formation and the giving of life. We're going to talk about in our series a new way of life. And one of the first things that we really have to, to think about and understand, if we're going to talk about a new way of life, that means we first have to have a life. We have to be a living, breathing creature. But God didn't just make us like any other living creature breathing creature, a living organism. He gave us a mind that is different, a body that is different, and he gave us a soul. He gave us a, an inner being, uh, the ability to be able to think and, and, and see the spiritual. We see today as we, we, we celebrate moms culturally, and we acknowledge that we, we acknowledge those moms as being the ones who gave us life and nurtured us. But what we see in this text ultimately is that it is God who granted life. God is the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. He knit us together. He saw our unformed substance. But in his books were written, every one of them, the days of our lives. Think of Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Jesus is, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, if you would have life, you must be born again. And, and so, what is, what is Nicodemus' question? What, how can one be born again? How, how can one have this new life? May, must we climb back into our mother's womb? Is, is that how new life is given? Here's what I want to show you something. Is that, that it's, it's, it's easy for us to like think about on a mother's day, uh, uh, a mother with a newborn baby, and we see this newborn baby innocent, right? And, and, and pure, right? But not in their being. Not, they, they are fallen, they're Adam. So it's hard for us to see that. But by the time they become a man or a full-grown woman, don't we see that, like, okay, they were given new life, they were given life at birth, but by the time they've, they've matured, they've sinned, they've fallen short of the glory of God, and they need a new life. New life in Christ, just as it was to, to Nicodemus, it is a uh, spiritual act of God when, with which we look on it and say, this is a miracle. This is the miraculous that we could be united to Christ. And so as we break into our text today, here is the big truth that I want you to see. 
When Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins and united us to him, giving us a new life. We're going to be right back into Romans chapter 6. In our text today, we're going to really hone in on Romans 5 through 11, though I want to go ahead and, and read uh, 1 through 11, but we're, we're going to just take apart today 5 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we've died with Christ. We believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So verse 5, as we start taking this apart. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here's my first big idea, is that by faith, we have union with Christ. And I want you to see this right there in verse 5, right? It says we've been united with, with him in a death like his, right? We've been united with him in a resurrection like his. Here comes this kind of theological truth that those who are in Christ, by faith, have been united with him. This is, this is, a, this is kind of like a, this, this major truth that's been, uh, there's been much debate and much talk over, uh, really throughout all of church history. I mean, you can, you can go back uh, to the, the early church fathers, and they begin talking about union with Christ. So the expression union with Christ refers with, to the believer's solidarity or association with Christ. Uh, by the Holy Spirit and through faith, by virtue of which believers partake of his saving benefits. So, I say, we, by faith we have union with Christ. That is true. It, it, is, it is by grace, right? We've talked about this. It's by grace. It's by God's unmerited favor. When we did nothing to deserve it, he, he came after us. He came to us. He drew us. He wooed us. He drew unto himself. We love him because he first loved us. That being said, it, it, is, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's the placing of faith in Christ. When we believe the gospel, the good news, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that we believe that he was crucified on the cross for our sins, he was put in the grave, uh, he, he, he died a death he did not deserve, and on the third day God raised his son from the dead. We believe in, in, the, in the resurrection of Jesus. It's the center point of our faith. So we, like last week, we repent. We turn from our sin. We place our faith and trust in 
Christ, at that moment of faith, union with Christ happens. We are made one with Christ, both spiritually and bodily. So we are made with Christ. This is why justification happens. Because God looks on, looks on us, and because we're united with Christ, he sees Christ. Therefore, we're justified. Therefore, we're redeemed. We're, we're re- redeemed by this union with Christ. And so when we say a new, a new way of life, you get this new life, it's because you now have life in Christ. I don't know that I can quote Galatians 2.20 enough. It's been cruci- I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's, there's union with Christ. We're justified because of our union, because he joined us, he looks on us and sees Christ. To quote John Murray, he says, The greatest mystery of creaturely relationships in the union of God's people with Christ and the mystery of it is attested to by nothing less than this, that it's compared to the unity that exists in the Trinity. And so just as we think about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are joined with Christ in that, in, within that same mystery, and the mystery is profound. And so we continue to learn about this union. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. This is why we, we, when we talk about repentance, it's, it's dying to sin. It's dying to one's self. That's why baptism is a picture of death. The, the, the going into the water is dying with Christ. Die, dying a death. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so here's our next big idea is that you can't have union with Christ and be enslaved to sin. The two things don't go together. The two things don't work together. You can't have union with Christ and be enslaved. The old self was crucified with him. That the body of sin is brought to nothing. So that when, when, when God looks on us, he sees Christ because we're united with him. He no longer sees our sin. He forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west. We're no longer enslaved to sin. For the one who's died has been set free from sin. Now... Do we, we believe that when we place our faith and tr- trust in Christ and we've been freed of sin and slavery from sin, does that mean we sin no more? Well, of course not, right? We're, we're, we're fallen. We don't, we don't believe, in, in, though, though there are some who believe this, but we don't believe the Bible teaches and we, we don't believe that you ever get to a place of sinlessness, that you're totally sanctified. We believe that you're justified, that Christ looks on you and justifies you. He, we believe that he's sanctifying you, that he's making you more and more like the image of his son. Now, that, that changes. That changes what it looks like, and it changes over time. 
Um, but, but what it means is that when he begins sanctifying us is that he's, he's changing us. He's given us this new way of life. I want you to think for a second of the Poudre River. And I want you to go to the Poudre and you stand on the banks and you start walking up and down the banks and imagine trying to clean the Poudre, right? You're getting every tire, every bottle, every piece of trash thrown up and down the Poudre. That would be a big job, right? And, and some of those things that we go and pick up out of the, the pooter, like we would like walk up out of the, 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 the river with those things on our back, and you're like, you found that in there? Like, yeah, a bunch of them, right? And, and we, 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 we look at those things, and we're like, all right, boom, the river's clean. So who wants to just go drink straight from it now? No, no why not? Because it's not clean yet, is it? It's not, it's not clean. There's, there's multiple levels of it being clean. Sure, we want to clean the banks of the pooter. We want to get the stuff out of the pooter. But, uh, there's, you know, what happens to the guy that was fishing upstream and had to go to the bathroom? It's like, you know what? Why not here? Right? Everything has to be clean. It all has to be purified. That's what sanctification looks like in our life. Like, er, early on, when we, when we come to faith in Christ, and, and we, we make this drastic turn that makes our life look different. We're pulling these big things out. But I'll just tell you this. Some of the most godly people that I know, I look at their, I look at their sin. I look at the things in which they're like, this is my struggle. And I'm like, man, you, you're, you're awesome. You're godly. You should hear the things I struggle with. Like, you're like a saint. And if you were to say that to them, they would say, by no means. I'm not a saint. They'd be broken over their sin. Although they look different. Right? They're, they're more like on the, the microbial level, level of the, the water in the river. They're still just as broken. I mean, the Lord is still sanctifying. He's still making them new. That's what the Christian life looks like. What it can't look like is, hey, I'm just giving over to this thing. Like, I'm just going to keep throwing tires in the river. Right? I'm just going to keep, I'm going to change my motor oil. I'm going to pour it in the river. I'm, I'm going to change my antifreeze. I'm going to pour it in the river. I, you know what? I'm done with this car. I'm just going to drive this car off in the river. Like, that's not, that's not your life being sanctified. That's, that's being enslaved to sin. And so what we see is that you can't have union with Christ. When Christ is in you, he changes you. So we, we get very quickly, we get to this place, and again, there's just always this battle for us of, of legalism, trying to earn Christ's righteousness and antinomianism, and it's like, hey, grace abounds, let's do this thing, let's sin more. Right? There's always this thing. But in Christ, you can't, it's, it's neither one of those. He is the, he is the cause. Sanctification is the effect. That's what, that, that's what I want you to see. When you have union with Christ, you're no longer going to be enslaved to sin. doesn't mean you're not going to sin. It means you no longer will have the desire to live in sin. You will feel conviction. You will feel a need to repentance. You will feel... Uh, uh, sadness when you sin. You'll not be given over to it. You will hate it. Paul's going to go on in just a little bit in the book of Romans. He's going to say, the very thing I hate, I do. And you'll see his brokenness over it. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. That's when you know that you're no longer enslaved to sin, is that you hate it. It's, it's not your slave. It's, 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 it's not your master. You're not its slave. So we're united with Christ, we live, uh, we, we, when we're united with Christ, we cannot be enslaved to sin. Now, verse 8. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so you see, there's this picture right here of dead man made alive. Old way of life, new way of life. We will also live with him. If we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He, his death was final. It, it was finished. He made uh, propitiation. He made payment for our sins once for all. It is a, it, this is not the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was that constantly, when you sinned, you would have to go and make payment for it. You would, there, were, there were different types of offerings. There were first fruits offerings, which is, which is in a lot of ways what the New Testament church kind of models the idea of a, a tithe off of. There were free will offerings, but the particular offering that we're talking about is a sin offering. And so you would have to take and you would have to spill the blood of an animal. Maybe uh, in, in the instance it would be a sheep, maybe it would be a dove, maybe it would be a cow. But you would have to spill the blood of that animal to atone for your sin. The picture that it was painting is the death that you deserve to die. It was dying for you. It was making payment for you. And here we see that, that Christ is making payment once for all. It's not the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. His, his death was sufficient for the atonement of every one of ours. Your sins, my sins. It, it, was, it was sufficient. So we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. We know that he's defeated death, so death no longer has dominion over him. The grave could not hold him. For the death he died, he died to sins once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so that, this is what you see in this picture, is that the life he lived, he lived, uh, he, he died and he lived. This is before and after his death. He lived for the glory of God. The life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus' life was for the, the, the Father. He, his life was for his glory. It wasn't for his own glory. If you read, say, John chapter 17, and you're diving into John chapter 17, what, what you're going to walk away with is that Christ was living for the Father. We ought to live for him as well. So for the death he died, he, he died once for all, but this life he lives to God. So here's the deal. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's this next big idea. When we are united with Christ, we live his way of life. We've died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer... Us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. If we have, 
have repented of our sins and we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus and we've been united with Christ, this life that we live is going to look different. Christ's life was different than anybody else's. His, his, his ethic, his morality, his way of life was different and we, therefore, being united with him, live in it. We live that way. So when we're united with Christ, we live his way of life. A new way of life is a... A life like Jesus. This is a Jesus way of life. It's a resurrected way of life. It's a Christian way of life. Remember, we go all the way back to the, the Easter sermon when I introduced this. And I, I told a story of, that's not very Christian of you. Somebody, somebody saying that, that thought, that's not very Christian of you. This idea of what is Christian. How... How ought Christians live? What ought their lives look like? Well, they ought to look like Christ. They ought to model his way of, way, of, way of life. So if you consider yourself dead to sin, you've repented of your sin, and you've placed your, your, your faith and in, in, in trust in Christ Jesus, your life is going to, to be modeled after his. The life he lives, he lives to God. The life you live, you live to God. Last week, I read some in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And this week, uh, we're going to go to Colossians, chapter 3. And in Colossians, chapter 3, the beginning, he says this, if, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, Paul, as he's continuing this, argue, this, this thought, I shouldn't call it an argument, this thought, this idea in Colossians that, that we're alive in Christ Jesus... So if you've been raised with Christ, then you seek the things that, that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, again, that means if you're united with Christ, you're not enslaved to sin, right? That means that your mind isn't enslaved to sin. It is, you are rather a follower or a slave of Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. As Christians, when, when we, we walk into this new way of life, when we're living this new way of life, we, we, ha we have to determine, we have to get to a spot of, like, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is, this is what it means to live like a Christian. And so often, we think about the actions and the things we do. That's, that's really where, where we start. I mean, even if you, you look down in Colossians, right, he, he's going to say, and I'm going to cover this next week, but put to death what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness. We, we begin to think that way. We begin to think about the actions that we, we do. But I want to tell you, the very first step in Christian living in a new way of life is learning a new way of thinking. It's learning to think like Christ, not like the world. Because you're thinking directly affects your, your actions. You live out what you believe. What you believe to be true di directly affects the other things that you do, 
how you treat others, where you invest your time and resources, the language that you use, the philosophies, uh, uh, the, the, the methods. Everything you believe is going to affect the, the outcome. It's going to be, um, it's going to play an integral part. So when he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. So that means the, the, the new life, united with Christ, we're united with him, that means we're going to start thinking like he thinks. And so here's just a few questions that, that will help you think with the mind of Christ. Think in a new way of, of life. First question. This, is, this, is, this, this should be a driving question that we should ask ourselves. Who will this bring glory Question number one, who will this bring glory? Will this bring myself glory? Or will this bring God glory? That's a very simple question, isn't it? But it, it, it can be a very, uh, a, a very deep answer that, that shows us where our motives are. Man, I w- wouldn't you say that uh, someone who is living apart from Christ, by and large, is going, and, and even that, not to say that we're not, but is going to, going to want to bring themselves the glory. This is, this is uh, part of our sinful nature. This is, this, we, we see Satan, when he's tempting Jesus, that he wants Jesus to, say, to, to have all the glory, and yet Jesus won't give over to Satan's temptation, and rather he gives God the glory. We, we, want, we want the glory. And so if you ask yourself, you're, you're in a situation and you're wondering how to act, what to do, the first thing that you, you should think is, does this bring me glory or does this bring God glory? We have to evaluate our motives. Remember, motives matter. What's in the, the depth of our, our heart matters. And so when we think about what it, whatever it is, we have to think. Am I doing this merely to make myself look better, to build my name, to build my brand? We live in a, we live in a world that we, we put stuff on social media to look good. We like likes and clicks, and our brain feeds off of it. And, and we see people like grow, like they start, we see people change. We see this change that happens when people uh, just get addicted to the click and the stuff that they post and uh, we see what, what, what is their life about, but trying to bring them glory. Now, I would, I would point out that so much of our culture isn't informed and influenced by people who are seeking self-glory. Uh, that's what Hollywood would be full of, right? I mean, it's, it would be rare to find somebody in Hollywood who isn't seeking self-glory, and yet they're the ones that we allow to set our morals and our standards and they're doing it for their own, own good. I, I would say if you're a businessman in, in the room and, and you, you're thinking through, how do I do business? How do I run my business? Are you running uh, your business for your own glory, your, your own bank account? Or are you doing it for the glory of God? Are your decisions that you make based off of the bottom line and the bottom line being your success, your glory? Or that of which is going to bring God glory. Could someone who's not a Christian look at you and your business and think, man, they run their business differently. 
their business is, their business is, is run differently. It's, you know, Mother's Day as we're thinking about your, your decisions as moms in the room. You're thinking about your, your decisions. And this could, be a, this could be about anything, right? But anything that has to do with, with your family and your, your kids, are you doing that for your good? Or God's glory? Are you raising your kids so that they suit you and make you proud? Or are you raising them so that they're going to they're, they're gonna bring God glory that would make Him proud? Are you raising them so that they will have uh, adoration and affection for you? Or are you raising them so that they would have adoration and affection for, for the Father? And what, what, what becomes the motive? I mean, as a parent, isn't it easy to slip into, like, we, we like it when our kids make us feel good. And we don't like it when our kids make us feel bad. So we can raise them to make us feel good. Rather, though, we ought to ask the question, is, is how I'm doing, is this, is this what's bringing God glory or myself? So that's question number one. Question number two, is this for the good of my neighbor? So this isn't just about, okay, this, this was like the Jesus ethic, right? The, the, the golden rule, you know? Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto, unto you. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's about his glory. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is this thing for the good of my neighbor? If you're going to have the mind of Christ, you're going to walk in a new way of life. Our, our sinful desires say, me, 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 me. I want, I want, I want. But a new way of life and the Christ, the Christ way of thinking is to think others first. I, I, I was thinking about this verse this week where... Uh, Jesus says, uh, true, "True love has no man than this that he would lay down his life for a friend." Because when we we start looking at kind of like the, the the Christian way of thinking, and we're talking about thinking like Christ, we qu- quickly can go to some pretty extreme statements that Christ said. And we look at those statements, and and they really are. You can see they really are the ethic that he lived out, and so that he would be he he what we see. And a new way of life is an others first way of thinking. At, at Overland Church, we have a servant leadership pipeline. We, we have a church full of servant leaders. One of our, one of our values as a church is, to, to, is, is service. And we say that, that one of the greatest things you can aspire to be is a servant. To serve others. To have an others first mentality. And so as we think about a new, a new way of life, united with Christ, we want to live like Christ lived. We read the Gospels, we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do we see a self-serving Jesus? Or do we see a Jesus that served his Father? That's what we see, right? We see a Jesus who served others, who sacrificed for others, who paused and stopped and listened and cared and healed when no one else would stop, listen, care, or heal. We, we see this, this way of life. So we ask the question, is this for the good of my neighbor? Is this for my good? Or is this for their good? I, am I con- considering that? I, I'll tell you. Um, you know, I, I often, often joke that, that when we start talking about our neighbors, our closest neighbor is, is people who live in our household. Right? It, it is our wife. It is our it is our kids, uh, it's the other you know maybe you have roommates whatever it is that's that is your closest neighbor, and sometimes they can smell your morning breath. Um, that that's how close we we are, and so your thinking has to to think as a father when I come home, 
at the end of the day and I, I walk into my house, am I going to do am I, am I gonna do things that are self-serving or I'm going to serve my family? That, that, that's, that's, simply, that's simply your question. Am I, am I going to serve um, myself or am I going to serve my, my family? I, I love going to, to, like, Christian parties, birthday parties or whatever. I observed this last night. It's like the meal time comes, right, and you're going to eat. And everybody's, like, standing back. You know, no one wants to go first because they don't want to, like, be self-serving. Like, they want to they, they, they wanna wait. And if somebody's always, like, every situation, like, the first in line, they're, like, going to get theirs, it makes you, like, begin to question their, question, like, their, their deal, you know? Sometimes it does take a leader to go, to go first, especially when it's like your own birthday party. Like, I watched some of this happen last night. I watched somebody, like, lead and step out. It was beautiful. Um, should always do, you know, by all means. That's all I'm saying. But it's like, it's like this competition of, like, who's going last? Who's, the, who's like, and, it, and you feel it, and it's honest, and it's true. Like, I, I don't. I want to make sure my kids eat first. I hear, this is what I remember being odd, that, that I hear, would hear my granny talk about when she was a kid. She would say, when I was a kid, the way that we would eat Sunday after Sunday dinner is that the men would always go first. They'd go first, they'd get their plate, then the women, and then the kids would go last. And, and I'd be like, okay, I, why is that, Granny? You know, and, and I don't know that she ever had a good answer, but I would see in our culture, it's like this honor system of wanting others to go before us. Now, I've seen, I've seen y'all like the Chick-fil-A drive throughs where you merge, you know, the two. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't got that Christian chicken that bringing out the goodness in you. Y'all like, that's my chicken first. Y'all not, no, no, you go first. You go first. No one does that at Chick-fil-A. It really ought to be how we live. It's the matter of like thinking about others' needs before ours. We, we ought to look around serving. I, I, would just, I would just note again that we have some incredibly servant-hearted people in our church that look and see needs of others, and put the other person's needs first. So if you think with the mind of Christ, the first question is, who will, this bring who will this bring glory? Me or God? The second is this, is this for the good of my neighbor, or is this for the good of myself? And here's the third question. Will this matter in a million years? Well, this thing that I'm worried about, this thing that I'm consumed with, this thing that, that I'm, I'm living for, will this matter in a million years? Now, I would just be the first person to tell you, there are things that we do that are important that we ought to do that will have no real impact on eternity. Okay, so I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that everything that we do must be so kind of kingdom-driven with kingdom impact that we should be able to see uh, a direct result. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is our life as a whole, the things that we invest our time, our effort, our energy in should matter a million years from now. Because it changes the life of somebody else. And it, it introduces the, the gospel to somebody else. And it, whether it be an act of kindness, uh, uh, the, the, the gospel in action, all, the gospel always preached and spoken that changes someone's cor the course of life and then their children and their children to the, to the, to the thousandth generation. 
that we, we invest in things and we do things that matter in a million years. I'm, I'm going to go recreate. I'm going to go enjoy my time outside. We, we rode motorcycles yesterday. We went camping in Buena Vista for, for a couple days and we, we rode motorcycles and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, and I loved it. I enjoyed it. And like, did, did riding that motorcycle, is it going to matter in a million years? It is absolutely not. I can make the argument that investment in my marriage and investment in my boys and taking time off and, and, and enjoying them and having to that's what will matter in a million years. And so invest that way. Think that way. So putting on the mind of Christ, you're not thinking about the, the things that are, that, are, that are temporary on the earth, the things that are, that are in the gutter. It's getting your mind out of the gutter. It's, it's getting your mind on things that are going to be eternal. Listen to what he says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's another way of saying you're united in Christ with God. When, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's this beautiful, beautiful complexity to us living a resurrected life. Living a resurrected life on earth, it, it, it matters. That's why we're going to walk in a new way of life. But it leads to a resurrection with Jesus in heaven for eternity. The things you're doing here will matter. Make sure they matter in heaven. Make sure you're living for Christ, living with Christ, living a, a new life, repenting of the old life and living a new life. Do things that will matter. Live a life that isn't for your glory, but is for God's glory. You live a life that isn't for your good, but is for the good of your neighbor. And live a life that will matter a million years from now. And so here's a question I have for you today. When Christ appears, when he returns, will you appear with him in glory? When you take your life, life, last breath, we see that, that life starts. So he knits us together in his, his, his mother's womb. And just as he an, uh, anointed and, and ordained man's step, also he ordained a man a time to die. And when that moment happens... Will you be united with Christ? Will you be welcomed into heaven? When, when, when he appears, when his life appears, you will appear with him in glory. That is the question, will you? Today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, today I invite you to do so. I, I invite you to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. It is by faith that we're saved. So place your faith and trust in Christ today. And if your faith and trust is in Christ, live the new way of life. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word. May it really be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. May we really hide it in our words. May we not be like uh, the man that you describe in the book of James, who looks at himself in the mirror and goes away forgetting what he looks like. We remember your word. We remember, uh, remember how, it, how it shapes us and forms us how it changes us, Lord. May we remember the truth of it. In a, in a world that, that is, is about spreading lies and, and misinformation, 
Lord, would we be people whose minds are trained to think on truth, who are trained to think on the ways of Christ, that would be firmly rooted in it, united with you in your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Lord, today we pray that you would move and work in our lives, that you would sanctify us, that you would grant us repentance. That you would grant faith. That today people would believe and be saved. They would come forward in obedience to be baptized and to join the church. And so, Father, will you move? Will you work in our midst today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.